Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. In the week that sees Netflix release the first Ricky Gervais sitcom in six years, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullimore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hi, Jeffers. Hey, how's it going? Good. This is very exciting. I'm so excited to be doing this because on this special episode of the podcast, we sit down with Ricky in the same London office where he wrote his new show, Afterlife. He shares his opinions on, well, pretty much everything, and what he thinks of critics both in the media and on Twitter, and what his plans are for the future both on and off screen. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. So, Jeffers, we sat down with Ricky for a nice long chat about his new show in his offices in London. It's quite cool to be there, actually. It's quite sparse. Yeah, there wasn't a lot. That, well, there's a big um, cardboard cutout of Ricky from The Simpsons, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Lots of really old DVDs that I don't imagine many people can use anymore of all his shows and stuff. And an office mug. I did yeah. notice that. Before we get into the interview, can you give us a brief synopsis about Afterlife for anyone who doesn't know what it's about? Yeah, sure. First of all, it's a sitcom, but it could also be called, I guess, a comedy drama. It's, it's a bit different from Ricky, this one. He's playing Tony. He's a local paper journalist. He's sort of got this perfect life in sort of a green area of, of England. Could be anywhere, really. And then his wife basically has died. Uh, his wife, Lisa. They've been together 25 years. It was a pretty idyllic life. And basically things have gone downhill pretty rapidly. Tony's sort of changed. He's feeling pretty suicidal. He's quite close to taking his own life. And then um, he sort of looks at the world in a different way and thinks he's just going to do whatever he feels like, say whatever he feels like. And we sort of pick it up from there, really. Well, that just about sums it up. So let's not keep him waiting any longer. This is Ricky Gervais chatting to us, the Series Linked podcast. So it's been a little while since we've seen a TV series from you and you're obviously in a position where you can pick and choose what you do and when. Where did this come from and why did you want to do it? Well, I mean, it's been a little while since you've been seen a TV show from me because um, TV can't afford me anymore. Um, uh, no, Netflix. It's been Netflix all the way. Derek was one of the first shows on Netflix and I just heard about Netflix and I sent an email to Ted Sarandos saying... I want to do my next show for you, you're the future. And he sent back, we'll take it. And that was before he'd seen anything, I'd written anything. So uh, yeah, Derek started the Netflix thing for me. Then they bought my, my two stand-ups, Humanity and the future one, Supernature. Um, so it's a no-brainer. Because uh, usually, because I, um, 
I've always demanded final edit. I demanded it on the office and I got away with it because it was a low risk. They didn't really care. And they gave me final edit. And then it worked. So you get final edit next time. And you keep getting final edit until you, um, you know, lose billions or, you know. Um, and But... There's still been a compromise with that. I've had to go to places where I can get final edit. You know, Channel 4 instead of ITV. BBC 2 instead of BBC 1. Um, HBO instead of NBC. But then Netflix came along and they gave me final edit. And the sky's the limit. They've got 130 million subscribers. They are literally the biggest broadcaster on the planet. In five years, they went from an idea, an algorithm, a website, to Disney. It, it's phenomenal. So... That's why you haven't seen me on um, TV and, and the tour. Uh, but the idea of this, um, the high concept came first, I think. Imagine if you had nothing to lose. And I think that comes out of me demanding final edit and freedom of speech. The last few years, it's been the biggest argument, freedom of speech. It, it's, we've got, we've, it's, it's being eroded. And so... Uh, I thought, imagine if you had nothing to lose and you said anything you wanted. You could say anything you wanted to say. Because even though people think, well, people say, well, you do say anything you want. And I go, well, no, no, I don't. I don't really. I've st- you know, you've still got to worry about the consequences. You still have to worry about if it's taken wrongly. And, and uh, there has to be the right platform, you know. Um, and uh, you know, like the scene with the, the mugging. We we hand over the money to muggers because we might have a baby in a stroller. But if if we didn't care, then we wouldn't. We'd go, no, let's c- come and get it. I don't care what happens. There's always been a huge element of pathos in everything that you do, but yeah. bereavement is a tough subject to tackle. Why did you think that was important? And did you always have confidence that that would work? Yeah, and it's the, and it's the I think, the worst kind of bereavement. You know, this isn't... In the you know the cosmic order of things, we understand you lose your your granddad, then your grandmother, then your dad, then your mother. we know we get that, but losing your wife, at, you know, at a relatively young age, it's um it's unfathomable. It's it's the worst nightmare, and I suppose I just want to I just want to keep pushing the envelope and twisting the knife more and more because you say it's always been there, you know. The office, the pathos, was losing your job that you loved. Uh, in Derek, the pathos was losing, a, as I say, an, an elderly friend or a dog, you know. Uh, but then I've just, you know, turned the key a little bit more um, with this. And uh, and I made it that we've learned more and more. Just because she's dead, when we, we hit the ground running, we learn more and more about the relationship. And the key thing was that I wanted the relationship to be real. On the flashbacks, on the you know the uh, the home videos, it's not walking hand in hand in the park or a candlelit meal. It's f***ing about when you're drunk. You know, it's a real loving, fun, friend. You know, relationship. And is it based on a fear of yours that you've got? Particularly, do you contemplate your own sort of morality a lot, or, or the death of a loved one a lot? Um, I guess I do, but usually it's for comedic purposes. Everything I've done is slightly existential. And I don't know whether that's because I'm an atheist and I think this is it, and so I've got to make the most of it, which I do, or it's a defence mechanism, like you, you, you go into the scary forest so you're not as scared, you know, you, I talk about it because... And I find the funny side of it, you know, in humanity, I talked about my mum and dad's funeral and 
and you know life goes on and it's what they would have wanted and all that stuff um but i don't sit down every day and go right i better but you know i don't want to do those things i don't worry about those things the admin and and that's sort of depressing i suppose my greatest fear apart from loved ones dying um is about mortality is i don't care about dying i don't care about being dead but i don't want to know my worst fear is being told i've got six weeks to live do you know what i mean that to me we know we're going to die being dead's all right you don't know about it it's like being stupid it's only painful for others um <laughs> but that that that's sort of depressing i don't know how people cope with that it's amazing when i see people t- who do cope with that and um and again i put that in here you know because uh, people do care about what they leave behind and that's really sweet and there's quite a lot of that you know um Penelope Wilton in the graveyard says, you know, old men uh, plant trees, the shade of which they never, you know, share, which is, you know, you do care about what you leave behind. And the fact that um, my character's going to commit suicide, but the dog's hungry. So you, you're, still, you're still the person you were when you're, you know, thinking about ending it. So you worry about those things. And I think that's true. I think if you, you were going to end it, you'd feed the dog first. You know, why not? And do you think you'd fall apart without Jane? Would you be drinking curry out of a tin can? Would you be having pints of Weetabix and water? How, how do you think you would cope? Jane went to Brighton once um, to visit her mum and the boiler went and I didn't know how to do it. And <laughs> I couldn't get the telly on. So I sat for two nights. So she went for two days. Two days. And, <laughs> and she came out and it was like... It was, honestly, it was like Castaway. <laughs> I was on the couch under a blanket with the cat, right, listening to internet radio because I couldn't get the telly working. And then when she went away, next time she, she, uh, she left me an instructions, right? <laughs> she instructions. She drew a picture of the remotes and what they all did and I stood up to FaceTime her. <laughs> And go, well, what do you say? No, that's on, you move it to the skybox. And then I, I go, why, oh, just get us a normal telly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I would fall apart. I mean, obviously, emotionally first. Um, I, I don't know how I'd cope with it. I don't know how I'd cope with You don't know. You don't know, do you? You know? Um, but no, I don't, I don't sit around. I love life. I know it's going to happen and uh i uh I, I try not to think about it if anything except you know comedically or, or philosophically when when it's asked and we make it sound quite bleak but it is very funny yeah. <laughs> no it is very funny and it's the type of funny that it needs to be bleak to be funny because i think comedy for me isn't isn't people trying to be funny it's all those other emotions it's funny a, a middle-aged man who's angry is funnier than a clown because he doesn't want to be funny. That's funny. David Brent wanted to be taken seriously, you know? Andy Millman wanted to be taken seriously. Um, so that, that's funnier for me. The jeopardy adds to the comedy, in a way. The tragedy. And tragedy is funny, if it's not you. 
And you're typically outspoken. James Corden shouldn't watch. Kenneth Branagh maybe shouldn't watch. Do you enjoy having a pop at these people? Well, it's, but that's the other thing. It's not, it, it's not me having a pop. You know, this man is in grief and he's angry about the world. So I, I'd hate Kenneth Branagh to think I've got anything against him because I haven't, you know. And I, and I think that it's clear that it's, you know, this, this guy is being, he's being bothered by someone it's more that he's having a go at the frivolity of this nonsense thing your ideal dinner party it's ludicrous he's annoyed that he's even having to think about it and he lashes out but um no personally i i've i, I haven't got a the people that are like the golden globes like i hated all the people i made jokes about it just wasn't true you know you should see how i treat my friends <laughs> They they get it a lot worse than my enemies. I ignore my enemies. <laughs> and it's it's a fantastic cast. Um, I was really excited to see you back with Ashley Jensen. Not not the first time we've watched you slowly fall in love with Ashley Jensen. Did it have to be her for that role? Um, well, I suppose uh, when I first got into this and I wrote The Office and I, I sort of wrote it based on my experience. I worked in an office for 10 years and I didn't know any actors and actresses. So you cast and cast, and you want the person who's in your mind to walk through the door. But now I've been in the business for like 20 years, I know the perfect people for the role. So it's no coincidence that this is everyone I've worked with in, you know, The Office, extras, Derek, movies, you know, and some people who I've always admired, like Penelope Wilton. My One of my favourite shows of all time um, is Ever Decreasing Circles. And uh, I even called her Anne as an homage because <laughs> uh, I absolutely love her. So it, it's lovely to be able to pick and choose. And, uh, and uh, they're friends as well, of course, but they got the role on merit. They got the role because I know what they can bring. Um, and, you know, some of them are even playing against cast because I know what they can do. You know, the, it, it, on the face of it, it's the comedy cast of the century. But they're doing drama as well. They are great. And some of them are comedians, but sometimes comedians can do pathos because they've looked at the world from all angles. Um, so, yeah, Ashley Jensen, um, Kerry Godleyman as my wife, uh, David Bradley as my dad, Penelope Wilton as the, the, the sweet lady that I meet in the graveyard, Tom Basden, Tony Way, uh, oh, my God, uh, uh, Mandeep Dillon, Diane Morgan, Roisin Connery. It's it's ludicrous. Paul Kay. Um, it, it's it's off the charts, and they're all fantastic in it. And you know, um, so yeah, it's it's fun to it's fun to build this um, this perfect world. And do you have any particular favourite scenes? For me, the the scenes with David Bradley absolutely incredible. Mate made me cry um, yeah. and the scenes with Penelope on the bench are great as well were there any particular highlights for you in terms of working with these people as well I, I did like those scenes because um, obviously uh, in the show my dad played by David Bradley has got dementia and it's deteriorating and uh, I'm losing my dad in a way uh, and it's not all sweet you know because um, my character resents having to go there every day and he gets frustrated with him because he doesn't remember. Where's Lisa? She's dead, Dad. You know? But you get some great comedy. It's, it's a very yeah. dark comedy in those scenes yeah. as well, but it, it really but nice it's also it's also true. It's true, you know? You'd be, um, you, you, do, you do get frustrated, and, you, oh, you know, and then you feel guilty. 
You know, so it's all those real emotions along with the uh, the fact that he says funny things because he doesn't know what he's saying, you know, and uh, that's almost light relief for the people who, who, who are in the room with him. Um, so I did like the scenes with that. Uh, and there's also a development there, of course, with a nurse who, who thinks I'm a pig, you know, for, for being... And I'm hurt as well. And I'm, I'm selfish. You know, my dad's got dementia and she's... And, and I'm, I'm feeling sorry for myself. So it's about that. It's, you know, my character goes through these... You know, he's angry and he's, he's bitter and he wants to punish the world. But actually he meets people who are worse off. And that's another human trait. We always think our problems are worse than anyone else's. Obviously, um, I had a dog for six weeks and I haven't got a dog in real life. Um, I literally go walking every day, me and Jane. If we're in New York, I go to Central Park. If we're here, I go to Hampstead Heath. I've already been today, and I cover other people's dogs, and I know them all by name. So to be able to cast your leading lady as a German shepherd <laughs> was unbelievable for me. And I admit, I cast it on looks first, and then... Then she backed up with a great personality. Um, uh, yeah, so I really enjoyed, you know, the scenes with the dog. Um, my favourite scene, I think the home movies of my wife are quite magical. To see a man watching his perfect life on a laptop is beautiful and tragic. And they're all fun, but they're so sad because you remember she's not around anymore. Um, so, uh, and it was, in, it was really important to remind people that this man has lost everything and he used to be nice and fun. Um, cause you have to accept ways treating people this way. And then when you've seen the whole series, you look back and you realize actually he's still had a conscience, even though he was trying to make himself into a psychopath so he wouldn't feel pain. He, he still treated the vulnerable well his dog, his nephew, the old lady in the graveyard, the new girl. Do you know, do you know what I mean? It's intuitively, he, he still used his superpower for good, in a way. Um, so, yeah. And I thought maybe this might be the closest character yet to, to you personally. Without I mean, doubt. I think there's a lot... Obviously, the opinions are going to be the same on Twitter, on God. There's also the sort of tricks on the partner. They remind me of when you do Jane with her friends tweets on her own. They're sort of that sort of cheeky humour. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, that they're, they're a couple, no kids. I just thought how much of you is in Tony. It seems to be quite a lot. I think it is the most. Everything's semi-autobiographical. You know, there's parts of me and David Brent that, you know... Well, in all of us, actually, everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be popular. Everyone wants to be invited to the party. You know, everyone wants to think that they're they're good at quizzes. You know, particularly if you're a bloke. You know, you know, uh, that's the other thing. Men, men as boys, women as adults. I, I sort of keep that going because I think it's it's true. Um, Andy Millman. You know, again. A little bit of all of us in Andy Millman, and, and uh, uh, more aware. I think that Andy Millman is more me in the sense that I'm probably more self-aware. Um, but Tony is the closest to me. Obviously, his circumstances have changed, but um, uh, I, I think it is. And I'm, yeah, I have no patience. I have to curb it. Now. It's getting worse as you get older or not? Well, what's getting worse is 
I'm famous now, so I can't say what I want to say. I can't send my suit back if there's a mouse in it. Because I, <laughs> I think someone would be filming it for YouTube. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be that guy uh, having a fight on an airplane, you know? So I, I, have, to, oh, I have to bite my tongue more than I ever did. Um, but no, I, um, I want peace and quiet. And I do go around thinking, like Andy does, like, why are people, why do people, why, haven't they learned to, why are they scuffing along? Pick your feet up. Don't, don't sniff when you're, you know what I mean? I have got all those, uh, not anger issues, because I'd never, they're, they're, again, they're still slightly funny, but it does annoy me. I have had to move seats in restaurants before, because someone's sniffing or got an annoying voice, <laughs> or clapping after they laugh. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just want peace and quiet. I, and I've used that phrase before. Um, there's always someone who ruins it. Do you know what I mean? I, the, even down to the thing like you, I find a, I, I find an empty restaurant, right? And then the the waiter puts the first person to come in next to you because it makes it easier for them. I go no, put them over there. And the thing with the office is people didn't just enjoy it they're obsessed with it and can quote it and it changed everything it, it does that mean that's obviously great for you but is does it also mean that every project you do next you think oh my goodness I've got to compete with the office no I've never thought of that I've never um no and that and that that so-called burden um is ridiculous it's I've said it's like um people trying to avoid the disappointing second album well just make your first one not very good <laughs> why would you do that you know, it, and uh, and and I've seen it in you know in other people like like albums. There, you know, people people love the first album and they go, "Oh, the second one's not as good." I go, "Well, actually, it's only because you heard the first album first. You don't know what you'd think. You 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 can't recreate that. It's the first time we heard this band. You'll never have that again. You know, that that band might have actually got better. And it's also harder because your first project is." your life's work, your second project is the two years in between your life's work and this work, you know. So um, so you, you change it and you move on and you reflect how you feel at the time and you make it different. Um, uh, you know, I'm a very different writer, director and person doing Afterlife than I was with The Office. Do you, do you know what I mean? You reflect, it's reflected, it's clear. Much bigger issues, um, much more important issues. A different, the humour's coming from a different place. You know, with The Office, it was coming from a man showing off because he wants to be famous. Very zeitgeisty. And I'd been watching all those, um, you know, quaint docu-soaps of the 90s. Um, uh, whereas, you know, th th this comes from a, it's 20 diff different years of input. Um, but no, I never worry about that. I never sec try and second-guess people because you'll miss out. You do it for yourself. And that's when you, where you get something that's different. If you keep doing it for yourself and it's not by committee and it's not safe and you're not worried about anything, then it's going to be slightly different. And there's 7 billion people on the planet. And some of those, even the tiniest percentage, are going to like this more than if I tried to please them, whether they know it or not. Um, so yeah so is there any sense of nervousness letting this out into the world c given how hard you've worked on it and how much you've poured into it or do you just think no I'm proud of it and that's okay uh, I'm, I can't wait I'm proud of it it turned out that if, if you get fine let it and it, it turns out like you wanted 
um, it's win-win. You you know what I mean? There's nothing. You're bulletproof. I, 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 that that's it. You know, um, and uh, you also got to know that as many people will hate it as love it, but they won't watch it again. They're irrelevant because the bigger you get, the more famous you get, the more people love you, and the more people hate you. But here's the best bit. The people that hate you, they have no effect on your life. The people that love you buy tickets. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So why would I worry about that, that split? So you, you do it for yourself. You do it for yourself and, and then like-minded people. And uh, it, it works out better that way. You're listening to Series Linked. Coming up, more from Ricky. When you buy clothes from Balkan, you're not buying from just another online retailer. You're buying from a five-star rated brand. Fit and quality is at the heart of everything we do. And you're not buying throwaway fashion either. You're buying meticulously crafted, elegant pieces that you'll love forever. Our collections are defined by foundational pieces infused with timeless essentials and relevant trends. Marie Claire described our collections as everyday designs with a cool fashion edge. And The Telegraph said, if you're after a perfectly pulled together, paired back capsule wardrobe, then Balkan is your go-to. Right now, you can enjoy a little luxury for less in our end of season sale. And with free delivery and returns when you spend £59, there's never been a better time to try us. In fact, the only difficult bit is spelling our name, Balkan. B-A-U-K-J-E-N. Find us at Balkan.com. That's B-A-U-K-J-E-N.com. And so will you be looking at on uh, Twitter? The, the, it comes out over the weekend afterwards. Will you be looking at the reviews? The sort uh, of instant 180-word reviews? Yeah, letters. I will. Um, because, because bad ones don't affect me um when i first got into this i was worried about bad reviews and uh and the first one i ever saw was bad it was it was uh a guy called victor lewis smith for the uh evening standard and the headline was summer stinker and he said how boring it was how unfunny it was it said gervais sometimes fluffs his lines like I'd have left them in. <laughs> it's not like it was. <laughs> uh, and then I realised it didn't hurt and it didn't matter. It just doesn't make a difference. Even less so now. But uh, I, I, um, I say thank you to the nice ones, you know. And is it nice to be in a position, you mentioned work with Netflix and how you've got a lot more control in that sense. Is it nice to better do what you want? You know, you've, you've got a paedophile joke very early on in the first episode. If this was on the BBC, there'd probably be 10 meetings about whether that joke's allowed in or not. Yeah. Is it nice to better sort of literally do and joke about whatever you, you want exactly. to? Exactly. There's li- literally no restrictions now. Um, the problem is finding a clip to show on terrestrial TV <laughs> that I do Graham Norton or something. It's really tough. It's really tough trying to find it. But that's always been the case. Um, and the other tough thing is that uh, I don't work in gags. They're not gags. So it's hard to find a clip because you have to watch the whole thing. More and more now. 
you know, and even the fact that uh, people binge watch Netflix, that had uh, an effect on how I wrote it. So it's the most serialised of anything I've ever done. You can't watch these out of order. They just won't make sense. Do you make them... with one sort of one thought in your mind as well that people might watch six or three of these in a go so do you have to edit it differently for that aspect or uh, you do it, the pacing's slightly different i still found that the ideal length was about 25 26 minutes you know slightly shorter than a bbc half hour but slightly longer than a commercial half hour so that's about right 25 minutes is perfect for i think um if you make it at all episodic, like a little story, uh, and that's about right, I found, for um, you know people's concentration. And they can watch another one or go, let's save it till tomorrow, you know. Yeah, and you still don't want it flabby. The fact that I could have had a, an hour, they'd have been a terrible hour. But cost, I, cost more as well, you'd leak less money, wouldn't you? Well, I suppose so. <laughs> I suppose, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Although I've already filmed it. No, but you still want to, you still want to make it tight. It works out about about right and it's like and it's quite filmic as well so if you put it all together it's a two and a half hour movie over two nights um which is great uh and i i can't see how i could ever do a hundred episodes of this it's too intense do you know do you know what i mean it's too it's too dense and compact and there's too much going on you couldn't and you do it all yourself if i had 25 writers like you know the American office, maybe. Um, but uh, no, it's got to be a short, finite um, study in something for me. And why did you decide to make Tony a local reporter? Well, obviously, we loved that. <laughs> but what, what was the thinking behind that? First of all, I love um, local papers. It, it, it really it shows you what area you're in. You know, um, if, the, if the front cover is, you know, um, woman finds tree in hat, you know that it's probably not a high crime rate to that village. Um, so I, I, I quite like that. But it was to it was to give him the worst job when you're um, a misanthrope. He's angry, he's grieving, uh, he doesn't want to talk to anyone, but he's got to, you know? And he's got to try and make it interesting. So it's it was his worst job for him. He's got to go out into the public, meet people, with banal stories. Um, But then you realise that, ironically, all those things he hates when he's grieving are what saves him. You know? The admin. The admin of life. Taking the dog for a walk, feeding it, having to deal with people, having to do a job so he can afford money to get drunk every night, Um, having to deal with the banality of the the people who work with him because it takes his mind, it makes him think... It's, you know, so all those things say, and then you, the, the thing is, if you're not happy in your own head, it doesn't matter what's happening outside. It could be the best of times. The economy could be booming. The sun can be out. But if you're dark in your head, you don't care um, and vice versa. So I did make it a quaint, beautiful little world. You know, it's lovely. It was the best summer we've had in living memory. Um, but if if it's dark in your brain it it doesn't mean anything so uh, yeah and we've talked about the process of you writing it but how do you find the process of acting it does that come easy to you or do you find it challenging uh i i find it easy because i know the character i do act in other things i've done uh you know a dozen movies and i've popped up in some of the most iconic things we've ever seen simpsons family guy muppets all those things and they're fun 
But when I write myself a part, I know I'm the best person for the job. It came from me. It is me. It, it's easy because I've lived with it. If someone else had written this and said, no, he's a missing to I could have done it, right? But I, I know him. You know what I mean? He lives within me. So uh, it is easy, yeah. Uh, the hard bit is not laughing with all the other great actors, particularly <laughs> David Earl. Because you uh, have a reputation for trying to put people off. So was that also <laughs> the case? Well, this? do you know what? Yes, I do. Yes, I admit <laughs> that, right? But I laugh anyway. So, because I, I know I'm going to ruin the scene, I try and make the other person ruin it first. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you've seen the clips, me and Martin Freeman, me and Patrick Stewart. Uh, but David Earl, and, and honestly, he kills me, who played Kev in Derek. Uh, they are my favourite outtakes ever. Uh, and he um, plays a guy in this who's this crazy hoarder who's a fantasist and wants to be in the local paper and he's got these ridiculous stories but it ends up quite sweet as well but those scenes the scene with him doing the puppet show um it is it's yeah remarkable um uh, yeah it's just it's fun every day's fun on set as i say because i've lived with it for so long you know it takes me six to nine months to write it i know i'm going to direct it and I turn up and I've cast and I know what they can do. So the uh, the filming's the easiest bit. The filming is the easiest bit. It's the It goes so smoothly. And was there ever a thought of getting Mackenzie Crook or Martin Freeman or any of the other people well, that you've got no, with? Not, I, think, I think not because I think that would take the eye off it because people would be going, oh, look, it's the office back together. And those things get in the way. I mean, I know they're going to do it a bit with Ashley Jensen back together and Carrie Godwin back together. But I've done it in such a way that um, it's it's everyone that I've ever worked with, bits and pieces, you know. Uh, and the only person in the office was um, the, uh, the funeral director who was my manager um, in the office Christmas special, Steve Brody. Um, so there, I think there is someone from everything I've ever done, but not so obvious as, oh, it's the office reunion. Because uh, it just, it would people would be thinking about it, and you don't want them to think about anything behind the scenes. That's why I, I think people think I love the controversy of a show when it comes out. Like people were saying that Derek is controversial and cruel and all this before I'd written it. <laughs> I, I, in fact, in episode one, I confronted one of the things because I had time to write something into the show that people were already. But it gets in the way. So I don't court it. I want people to watch it with no... I wish they knew nothing about it and sat down and it was a pleasant surprise. But again, that that's, a, I suppose, a, a burden of being well-known and people having high expectations. So um, I, I'm not complaining. But no, I'd rather this just pop up in their inbox and they go, oh, what's this? You know? Because it, 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 you watch things differently. I, I've been put off by things by the trailer. I thought, I'd never watch that. And then I've watched it and I go, oh my God, what an awful trailer. This is amazing. You know, you can't, you can't second guess what people are, think of a show. The people listening to this now, they know who's in it and they know what it's about. But they've, they've, there's no way they've got it right in their mind. There is no way 
they've second guessed what this is like. And I wanted to pick up on a couple of things sort of Tony says in the script, which I guess it, I see as being sort of your voice. Uh, there's a bit where he's talking about the the local paper, the fact that it's dying. And then he also talks about that sort of um, those sort of clickbait stories and, and the way the media is changing. I just wonder whether you, you worry about sort of the media for the future and, and journalism in general. Well, um, I, I sort of do because, and it's it's not really journalism's fault anymore because the good guys have sort of stayed good guys and the bad guys have stayed bad guys but there's another massive wave of people that weren't involved who have jumped straight on to being the bad guys so now there's no difference between the greatest journalist in the world working for the New York Times and a blogger who is doing hateful and getting a hundred million hits. That's the problem. People don't know the difference. Because on Twitter, everything's equal. Same font, so you're next to, you're next to a genius. You know? In, in, your, in your feed, you can have Richard Dawkins tweeting about something, David Attenborough tweeting about something, and then some nasty little vile troll, and it looks the same. It gives it's the same credence. So that's the problem for journalism. People who aren't journalists um, sitting alongside you, making you look bad. And some people, it is their fault. Some journalism is bad. You know, some, you know it, it's always been around. Um, I feared fame because of bad journalism in Britain. You know, that building people up to knock them down. The schadenfreude. You know, there's, there's some papers, if they do a nice story about someone and the headlines, oh, isn't she wonderful? You look at the comments, they're all brilliant. If they go, oh, isn't she awful? They're all bad. They're like sheep. You know, it's rallying. It's this rallying of troops. It's this mob mentality. And it's bad on both sides. It's not just hateful journalism. You know, it's these people who think they're, um, they're freedom fighters. You know, it just, it's this mob people you thought it was a good side that you know that there's tolerant liberals and now are now rallying the troops to destroy people's lives because they've said the wrong thing it's horrible it's really horrible and and that happens sometimes on twitter now as well and twitter does get quite a few mentions i think over the probably over the whole series uh, do, do you still enjoy it twitter as much you think it's gone downhill is it more, do. a more negative place now? i do i treat it i treat it like um reading every toilet wall in the world at once <laughs> you know you go into a public toilet and you look at it and most of it is banal mental stuff and then you'll find one really funny one really funny thing and uh, and that makes your day um i use twitter as a, a marketing tool and a, a testing ground um and uh you can get the best out of it uh i, I don't get bothered with Trolls. In fact, sometimes I go looking for them for material to find a funny thing to talk about, you know. So, uh, as I say, you know, um, Twitter makes me money. You know, it can be a, 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 an awful tweet can give me five minutes material, <laughs> you know. Um, but no, you, uh, it's virtual. If, if you're not on the phone, they don't exist. Um, and I feel bad for people who do get bullied and they get real trolls, but um, it, it's crazy to worry about it. As I've said before... No one's ever upset me on Twitter. That would be impossible. How can they... I'm too happy. My life's too good. How can someone... How could someone ruin my day? Um, I've had to have gone there and... I've had to have gone in and read a toilet wall and got upset by it. 
that's crazy <laughs> and that's one side of it but also sort of instagram there's this whole obsession with everyone being positive and positive thinking and that's kind of what tony experiences that he's having this awful time and everyone's just saying come on pull yourself together come on do you, how yeah. do you feel about the way in which society relentlessly demands positivity out of people well it depends it, it's a it's a double-edged sword isn't it there's there's narcissists on instagram who say, hey, be positive, my life's beautiful, look at my, you know, and you go, shut up. And then you say, people, the other side of it, but, but do you know what? That's nicer than being negative. It's still nice to be negative. But then you get people who say stupid things like, um, ugh, uh, people who are depressed should just snap out of it. You know, go, well, then you don't understand depression, you idiot. You know, so it, it just depends. You have to take every... Um, you know, view uh, on its own merit. And that's the big problem, that people don't look at an argument anymore. They look at who's saying it and they decide on whether they, they're on the right side or not. We've fallen into two tribes. It's crazy. You can't please anyone anymore. Um, I, I did a tweet, uh, said I, I'm, a, I'm a typical sort of liberal, lefty snowflake, anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-homophobic, da 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 you know, I, I, and yet if I talk about freedom of speech, I'm suddenly an alt-right Nazi because the left don't like, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's like these, they've claimed the things they're into and it's mad. It's like expecting you always to eat everything on a set menu. You want to pick and choose. Uh, people are different. It, there's, it, it doesn't make sense to say you're left and right anymore because it goes full circle. You know, you've got to say, what are the issues on what? Am I left and right about what? What's the question? What's the specific question? It's crazy. And now, you know, you do a, you do a tweet um, about someone, and it could be nothing to do with it. It could be something like, um, oh, look what this wonderful person said about nature. And then someone goes, yeah, but you know they're racist. I go, well, not in that tweet, they're not. <laughs> not in that tweet, they're not, okay? Well, <laughs> Like, people are always trying to bring someone down for something that they know about them to discredit them. It, 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 it's mad. It's mad. It, it, but you, you, you've got to ignore it or it'll send you mad. You said earlier you can't imagine doing this for 100 episodes, but what about most of the other things, The Office, Derek, there's second series. So do you think we're going to see a second series of this? I, I'd love to. Just in case... I always do my first series or anything that it could be a standalone thing, and this is true, but I've really fallen in love with the characters, and I think it would be a waste not to do a second series now. And, and the second series can be the best because you've, you can hit the ground running. You've done all the setup. You know the, the people know the characters now, um, so you can delve deeper into things without having to do the admin of explaining stuff. So the second series can be the the most joyful to to um to write and watch. But you've not written there's no ideas or anything. There not- are ideas. Yeah, there are. You can't help those. But you've got to curb them in case if no one likes it and Netflix say we've wasted millions on you, Rick. <laughs> um uh but I uh secretly yeah, I would love to do a a second series. And just to almost go back a step, what was the sort of process in terms of how long did this take for you to write and how long was the filming process? How long did that take? Well, I was on tour of Humanity, so, and it was sort of March, April, and uh, I'm in lovely hotels filling my days, and I thought, I should do another series. 
and that was the seed of it. About about March, April, um, two thousand and seventeen, I'd say, and I'd uh, I'd written it in a year, uh, and uh, I told Netflix about it, and they said we'll take it, and I filmed it um, in the summer of uh, two thousand and eighteen. Um, yeah, so uh, but the second series would be faster, It'd be a lot faster you know half the time because you as i say you've done you've done all the hard work it's an incredible position to be in though they literally say they'll take it based on a synopsis or yeah wow. yeah yeah that's yeah i mean and then they took the second they've taken my stand-up on the when they saw humanity and they wanted it they said and we'll have your next one um so yeah, so I must be a really good algorithm <laughs> on Netflix. Well, you've also <laughs> got to be good at your own sort of quality control in in that sense, I guess, because you could it could run away with you. I guess is that that's the only danger that. Yeah, that is true. That is true. You you you've only got yourself to keep you alive if they're taking it, because you've got no one to. Yeah, no, no, that is a. Do you have anyone close to you, friends or family, who who um, you show the scripts to? Oh, or I show Jane. Jane definitely. She's your yeah. sounding board, is she? Yeah, yeah. Um, first thing for for everything, you know, I'll go for a run and I go. Oh, I've written a joke for my stand up, and I'll tell it to her, and she go, "Please don't do that in public." <laughs> um, and I, I know, <laughs> you know, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and my, um, you know, assistant Jonathan, who's who's always around, he's he's really good sounding board and um when you when you do it all yourself even typing it up gets in the way because you should be sitting back looking at a ceiling and thinking about stuff as opposed to oh this bloody program oh oh i can't type far i can't type as fast as i think do you know what i mean so it's good to have someone in the room even if you're coming up with everything i've always you know it's good to have someone in in the room you know even saying it out loud makes you think about it more than if you're just typing because you've got to hear those words they might the great when you're in your head and typing them out but then when someone says them you go oh that's that sounds awful you know because they're to, they're to be performed so uh yeah i uh, you you do need you, you do need to hear them you know out in the in the open air before you get there on the day my last question is just because I totally related to something you said earlier about walking a- around a park desperate to have a dog. Yeah. That's basically my life, but yeah. I live in a flat. But yeah. you're Ricky Gervais. You can do what you like. <laughs> Why do you not have a dog? Is it well, the cats? Is t- it, two reasons, yeah. That our cat's very old now. It's 15 and it wouldn't be fair to just subject it to its last years with this, this crazy thing running around knocking things over. Um, but also I travel and a cat is happy for, you know, for cat sitters. Like they do whatever. Whereas uh, I think if you're going to have a dog, um, that's your best friend. You should be with it all the time. I hate it when I think of a dog locked in a kitchen for 16 hours because someone works and they take it for a walk Saturdays. I can't stand it. So um, I, I'm going to, when I retire, I'm going to play with that dog. That dog's going to be exhausted. <laughs> that dog's going to go, why don't you go to work? I'm exhausted. I will never stop throwing a ball for a dog. I will wear a dog out. I will bore a dog to death before I get bored with a dog. I love them. I, honestly, I, they do something to me. I, if I, could, I wish I could bottle it. 
You know, I go out for a walk, as I say, the first thing in the morning, to meet dogs. If I've met a good dog and it, it's like, it's like heroin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've ruined the whole interview. That's the, <laughs> that's the headline, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> we were doing so well. And there's, and there's your click, mate. There's your click, mate. Because <laughs> some, some entertainers say, I'm never going to retire. This is always in me. But do you dream of that day where you sit with the dog, you don't travel around all the world all the time, and you just enjoy well, yourself? Well, it's not even... I mean, it's, it's back and forth to America. That's the big thing, because you're away for three weeks. It's not travel. You know, I could, I could do gigs every night and come back from Scotland even. And, you know, but... Um, all those, all those chunks of weeks and three weeks away, I, I, that's half a dog's life. Why have I got a dog? I, you know, they only live to fifteen. I wanna, I wanna be with that dog every minute of its life. Um, uh, and I probably won't retire in that sense, but I might be more settled in one place. My, my, uh, my idea would be to live in a big house and big grounds and have. Every stray dog and everything's welcome. Disabled wallabies, blind hedgehogs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Flight, flightless crows, welcome. You're the you new know? Paul O'Grady. Yeah, yeah. Or Noah. Yeah, I look like Noah. I think Noah was 900 when he built the ark. So, uh, yeah, me. And me, me at 60 will probably resemble a nine year old man. <laughs> We also like to ask people just what they're watching on TV, if there's anything you've seen in the last couple of months you think is really good. Right, are you ready? Right, nothing on TV. It's all Netflix or Walter Presents or On Demand or Amazon Prime. Or So, uh, let's go for the last year. Um, Gamora, amazing. Neapolitan, sort of mafiosa. Amazing, raw, screwed up, sort of epic saga a family crime drama amazing um everyone knows about the bridge and the killing and i've watched the lineage from those to the present day um the greatest foreign uh noir things from around the world fowder um about um uh, undercover israeli anti-terror squad in palestinian territory just incredible um, you have to watch these in their original language with subtitles. Don't watch the dubbed version. They are fucking unwatchable. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You've got the greatest actors and screenwriters and, you know, cinematographers around the world, and then they get some awful American actor. It, it sounds like the... Do you know what, like when you watch them uh, dubbed versions, it's like, you know those bits in video games when you have to get to the next level? It's that level of acting, you know? <laughs> you know? Well, we have to go in there then. Yes, we will. We will try them. Okay. Why are we... Wa- you know, so watch them in their original language with subtitles. Um, uh, and now I can make subtitles bigger. It's, it's a joy. <laughs> and Jane could read so much faster than me. I thought it was because I was stupid, but it's because I'm losing my eyesight. <laughs> refuse to wear glasses um before we die it's amazing uh a, a scandy uh crime thriller about an undercover cop uh a black lake so atmospheric dark german serial killing time travel uh drama um just so beautiful and weird ride upon the storm norwegian uh dysfunctional family about this 
um, priest with a god complex who's really f- screwed up his two sons. Uh, just remarkable. I mean, people obviously, if if you haven't watched Scandi European drama, uh, honestly, you're you're missing out. It it. I don't think I've watched um, an English or American series in two years because they just can't. They don't. They cut the I I watched you. I like that. I did like that. Um, but but so light, so frivolous compared to the stuff you're watching. I mean, the, the Europeans they go there. I mean, some some of the yeah, it, they're they're incredible. And you wouldn't watch. You'd watch drama as opposed to comedy to relax. And you don't watch any any comedies. It's or too stressful. I can't. I. I don't see the point. It's in the work c- then, is it? Because you're thinking how they did the joke. Well, or, it's or not that. They- it's like it, it's like. Um, I d- I don't know. I, d- I, th- I think the last great comedy that I I could still watch is probably something like Family Guy or Curb with Enthusiasm. I, there's there's a there's a hundred sitcoms that come out and fail. But there's there's just no point in what they just don't push it for me. They don't push the envelope for me. And watching a a comedy movie is like a waste of an hour and a half for me. I think that's a waste of a movie. You know, there's been about ten in my lifetime that I'd go are worth watching. You know, it's like Spinal Tap and a couple of Woody Allens. And but uh, to go to the, to pay ten pounds to go to a cinema to see a knockabout comedy, what are you doing? What are you doing? There's a serial killer loose in Stockholm. <laughs> He's eating people's minds. <laughs> I just have one last question, Ricky, because I feel like this is obviously a podcast and I feel like you guys almost created the podcast with you, Stephen and Carl. I remember having it on CD and stuff in my car. And Is there ever a chance you three would ever do a podcast again? It, it wouldn't work. I, I think the thing about Carl is that um, it's like I discovered a chimp that could talk (laughs) and I had to teach him the ways of mankind and now he's assimilated into society so he's too wise he's too wise I don't know what I'd have to introduce him to 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 make it the same it was the naivety that made it work of course and the fact that he shouldn't really have been on the radio he didn't want to be he shouldn't have been on the radio he shouldn't have been a you know um had his own TV series now. So um, it's sort of, it's done. I think the magic has has gone now. Um, and I think people know that. Well, people don't know what's good for them. They think they'd want another one, but it wouldn't be the same. They'd go, oh, I wish I, I'll just li- I'll listen to the old ones. Like if you tried to do The Office again now, you Yeah, mean. exactly. It's, 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 I, I think people, if you want to do, after all this time, after years and years, if you want to give them an episode of something they think they really want, you should have had a secret episode filmed at the time they hadn't seen. That's when it works. You know, if, if, they, if, if they discover an old Columbo and they found it was never aired, I think if they tried to do it now, it wouldn't work. That's brilliant. Is there anything else, Ricky, that you we need to get in here that you need to talk about? You're doing now, or anything you need to plug, or anything when we're putting in? Uh, no, I mean I'm I'm doing warm ups for Supernature, so I'm going to roll those out um, over the next eighteen months around the world. I'm doing little theatres, then I'll do big theatres, then I'm going to do arenas uh, around the world. Um, obviously, particularly in America and Canada. Um, I hope you enjoy uh, Afterlife. Um, 
and uh, it's I've been watching a lot of I've been watching a lot of scandic drama, so it's pretty dark. <laughs> Ricky, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. That was fun. Well, all that's left to do is to say a big thank you to Ricky and to say that Afterlife is now available to watch on Netflix. You can binge it all in one go. You've been listening to Series Linked, a top telly podcast for TV fans by TV fans. And we'll be back with another episode on Tuesday morning. So make sure to subscribe. See you later. See you next week. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.